Hello and welcome to the Beyond Biotech podcast number 73. I'm Jim Cornell and this is the weekly LaBiotech podcast. And this week we're talking about molecular gates, which is a new class of small molecule that eliminates disease-causing extracellular proteins. The new small molecule class is the basis of a company that recently exited stealth, Gate Bioscience. To give us the details on the company and Molecular Gates is Jordi Matafink, co-founder and chief executive officer at Gate Bioscience. Gate Bioscience is a biotechnology company, preclinical biotechnology company, developing a new class of medicines that we call molecular gates. And molecular gates are small molecules to selectively eliminate disease-causing extracellular proteins. And they do so by attacking those proteins at their source inside the cell. I wonder if you could tell me about disease-causing extracellular proteins, what they are, and how that causes issues. Yeah, absolutely, Jim. So you know, extracellular proteins are proteins that act outside the cell. So this means either they are secreted from the cell or sitting on the cell membrane but facing outward. You know, out of the 20,000 proteins that are encoded in the human genome, about 4,000 of those are extracellular proteins, and about 1,000 of those are linked to disease. So the types of diseases that are caused by extracellular proteins include diseases where, for example, the extracellular protein is produced at too high a level, or it's produced at the wrong time or at the wrong place in the body, or in some instances where the protein is produced, and then it misfolds and it aggregates, and that can cause problems. So there's a whole range of extracellular proteins that cause disease in different manifestations. And we can get into some of the specifics of those if you like. That will be interesting because obviously this isn't something that's new and it's something that's just been discovered. What traditionally have been some of those issues and the ways that that have been treated? Let's talk about that. So let's take, for example, a very common class of extracellular proteins that cause disease uh, in diseases of inflammation, right? So when you have an inflammatory reaction to, a, say, a bacterial infection, one of the first things that happens is your immune cells secrete very large quantities of inflammatory proteins called cytokines. So this happens as part of a natural immune protective response to an infection, but it can also happen in the context of autoimmune disease. So in something like rheumatoid arthritis, for example, you have an auto-reaction in your joints and you have immune cells secreting large amounts of inflammatory proteins in a place when they're not supposed to and at a time when they're not supposed to, right? So you could consider, for example, rheumatoid arthritis and other inflammatory autoimmune diseases as diseases that are really driven by extracellular proteins. And if you think about the therapeutic landscape for these types of diseases, in some instances, they're actually reasonably well treated with biologic drugs like antibodies that can come in and bind to and eliminate the extracellular protein. What we often know in these contexts is that when you have a disease that is driven clearly by one pathogenic protein, what you wanna do is get rid of that protein. So the roots of eliminating that protein today, therapeutically, tend to be things like antibodies, antibody drugs that you would inject and would come in and bind to the protein and eliminate it, or other classes of drugs, also biologics, uh, like nucleic acid drugs, say things like siRNA or antisense oligos that you might inject and that would block the translation of those proteins. So the production of those proteins from, from inside the cell. And so that's sort of the therapeutic arsenal that we have today for eliminating extracellular proteins are these classes of biologic drugs. They work quite well in some instances, but they do have their drawbacks. 
So one of those drawbacks is that biologic drugs have to be injected. And so as a patient who might be suffering from one of these conditions, having to take an injectable medication as opposed to a pill that can be taken orally is inconvenient and at times can actually cause a barrier to access to the therapy. And then there are other instances where, for example, the extracellular protein might be produced in a tissue, say, in the brain, where biologic drugs have a really hard time accessing. And so even injecting the drugs uh, as they're done conventionally really does not allow them to get into the brain. So there are unmet needs for diseases of extracellular proteins. Are there some that haven't even been tackled at all because of that issue? Absolutely. So you can think of it as a spectrum from things like the example we just spoke about, inflammatory cytokines in, in rheumatoid arthritis or other inflammatory diseases that are very well treated today with antibodies, all the way to another end of a spectrum of proteins that we know are pathogenic, but perhaps because they're expressed in the brain or because oftentimes proteins that aggregate actually fall into this category. They get made by the cell and then they misfold and clump together. And then those clumps deposit in tissues and cause problems. Once those clumps form, it is darn near impossible to get rid of them. So for example, Alzheimer's might be a great classic example of this, although there are many others of uh, diseases where there's a protein that misfolds and aggregates and trying to get rid of that aggregate after the fact is both very difficult and it may be too late, depending on how much damage has been done. And so there's a real need to perhaps come in and intervene early before the protein is even produced. And I guess, as you were saying, there's also different kinds of extracellular proteins or different issues that are being caused. So it's not just the spectrum of difficulty, it's the different ways in which these can become issues. You know, this is going to get us into a really fascinating topic, which is what we do as a company and our drug modality that we call molecular gates. And so perhaps this is jumping the gun on some other questions that we're going to cover, but you're exactly right, Jim, that there are of these thousand extracellular proteins that can cause disease, they cause diseases in different ways. Sometimes it's because they're expressed too high. Sometimes they're misfolding. Sometimes they're just signaling in a place that they're not supposed to be signaling. As we will talk about the way that molecular gates work, is to try and eliminate these extracellular proteins at their source, inside the cell while they're being made. And when we put our gate goggles on and look at the process by which these proteins are being made and secreted by the cell, they're all made and secreted through a common pathway. And so even though these thousand different types of disease-causing extracellular proteins are all different in their own ways, at their source, they're actually very similar. And so there's a common mechanism that we hope to go after and drug with our molecular gate drug modality. Is that why the company was created in order to be able to address those unmet needs? Yeah. Yeah. We looked at the world. We said, if you could eliminate extracellular proteins, that's clearly an unmet need. uh, And to do so selectively with small molecules. As we just said, there's some instances where this would be a better therapeutic option for patients that currently take injectable biologics. And in other cases where we might be able to intervene in diseases that today have no therapies. And that's really motivating for those of us in biotech, as you know. And the insight that we had was that it might be possible to selectively eliminate extracellular proteins by addressing them at their source inside the cell. So the fundamental biology here, maybe we could walk through it for a few minutes. If we open up our high school and college biology textbooks, right, we have DNA goes to RNA goes to protein is is the central dogma. For proteins that need to be extracellular, they're all getting made inside the cell, as as all proteins are. So they have to cross a membrane 
to get from inside the cell to outside the cell. It's a pathway that's called the secretory pathway. And what's interesting is that the proteins, as they're being translated by the ribosome off of the mRNA, they all go through a single channel, common conserved channel that's called the secretory translocon. It sits in the endoplasmic reticulum. We're going to do a lot of biology words right now, but so there's a common channel in the ER called the secretory translocon. And all 4,000 secreted and membrane proteins have to go through this channel. So there's a common, think of it as a common bottleneck or a common entryway into the secretory pathway. The insight that we had was that it would be possible to put a drug in this channel to drug the secretory translocon and to selectively stop a disease-causing protein from going through the channel while allowing other proteins to pass through normally and to be secreted normally. So what happens in this context, just as if we imagine ourselves riding alongside a protein that's being secreted, um, as the protein is made, it goes through the channel. If the drug is present, the molecular gate is present in the channel. And if our protein is a disease-causing protein that the molecular gate has been designed to block, the protein is unable to transit through the channel. And instead, it gets blocked and basically spills out into the cytoplasm of the cell, where it is immediately recognized as being mislocalized and gets chewed up by the cell. So the cell has all sorts of pathways in place to get rid of proteins that are unable to be secreted. And we essentially take the disease-causing protein and shunt it into the degradation pathway, as opposed to allowing it to be secreted. How do you differentiate between a protein that you want to pass and a protein that you don't? Yeah, it's a great question. So fundamentally, it's because the amino acid sequence of each of those 4,000 proteins that is going through the channel is different, right? Every protein has its own amino acid sequence. And our molecule, our molecular gate that's sitting in the channel can discriminate between those amino acid sequences and therefore block selectively the ones that we would like to prevent the secretion while allow others through. It's actually interesting if we take this as a jumping off point to maybe look back at the history of this pathway and molecules that can intervene at the secretory translocon at this common channel. It's a pretty old, old story. So the first discoveries of molecules that bind to and interfere with the secretory translocon actually goes back nearly 30 years. It was the mid-1990s, and a couple of different pharma companies, Novartis and others, were doing phenotypic screens, essentially taking fungal broths and bacterial broths and panning them on cell lines to see if they could see any physiological effect that they could then go explore to see what was causing it. And in looking for molecules that were anti-inflammatory, they came across a set of natural products that ultimately, through much biochemical work, they figured out were molecules that were blocking the secretory translocon. Now, interestingly, in these compounds from the mid-90s, if you imagine that channel where all the proteins are going through, these molecules were essentially acting as a plug in that channel. They would sit in the channel and they would block all proteins from going through. It showed up in the phenotypic screen as anti-inflammatory because as we talked about a few minutes ago, inflammatory proteins have to get secreted in an abundant quantity through this channel. And so it might be the first thing you see missing if you block the channel, right? So that's kind of how it, how they were discovered. But fundamentally, these molecules acted as plugs, stopping the transit of nearly everything through the channel. But it did kick off a really fruitful 30 years of chemical biology exploration where industry scientists and academic scientists around the world took these molecules, made derivatives of them, figured out what they were binding to, figured out where they were binding in the secretory translocon, figured out all sorts of biochemical assays, and really understood the process by which these plugs were working. 
Where GateBio comes in is actually an insight that we had. My scientific co-founder actually did this work in his academic career, which was to discover that actually through the magic of medicinal chemistry, you could make molecules that instead of acting as a plug, act as a gate, meaning that instead of blocking all things from going through, you could introduce chemical uh, diversity in the molecules binding to the secretory translocon in such a way that you would actually allow many proteins to pass through and only block some of them. And then once you saw that there was a difference between the things that were blocked and things that weren't, you could start to design for that selectivity. You could start to make changes to the molecules and test them and iteratively drive more potent molecules and more selective molecules. And it was really that insight that you could move from plugs to gates that got us started with our company. How did that initial idea and that concept translate itself into a company? Because obviously you've got to have some kind of goal in mind, whether it's a product or what you're going to tackle. No, it's a great question. You know, I think philosophically, Jim, the way I like to think about this is anytime there's a new scientific innovation, something like this, I mean, there's, they happen dozens of times a year and you need to think about you know, what is it worth pursuing? It's never easy. It's always, you know, you're at some early point and there's a whole lot of work that needs to be done. And the exercise I like to do is to go imagine the future, disconnect it from what's possible today and go navigate that future landscape, try to map it and see, is it worth going, right? Is there a valuable destination? And once you identify that valuable destination, then you can figure out if it's worth putting in the effort to get there from where you are today. So the first thing we did once this, this concept came across to say, wait, it might be possible to selectively stop proteins going through the secretory transloca. I said, well, okay, what's the consequence of that? The consequence would be selective elimination of extracellular proteins with a small molecule. So we started imagining where that might be useful. And we get back to the very first question you asked me, where might this be useful? Diseases of inflammation, where today patients have to take injectable drugs and have all sorts of downsides and inconveniences. Diseases of protein aggregation, where there might not be treatments available today. Extracellular proteins produced in the brain, where biologics struggle to get to. But the list goes on. There are cancers that are driven by receptors that today are drugged with small molecule inhibitors, but where resistance mutations emerge. And so perhaps if you eliminated the protein, the list goes on and on of, of hypothetical ideas where you say, well, gee, these are important extracellular proteins that we know cause disease. And if you could eliminate them with a small molecule, that feels like that would be valuable. So once we were convinced that the destination was valuable, then we went back and said, great, let's go build this. How do we build this? And in the case of GATE, there's a large component of what we do that is a chemistry organization, right? We need to have the best chemists in-house and the tools and the insights and, and all the assays that come to bear to make small molecule drugs. But also importantly, you know, as, as we were talking earlier, there are these thousand potential targets we could go after, extracellular proteins we could want to inhibit. But when we put our gate goggles on and we look at the mechanism, we only see one common mechanism. We see all of these proteins going through a single channel where our molecules bind and set up a molecular gate. And we realized very early on that this ability to focus on a single molecular event, a single biochemical pathway in the cell, would actually be a real superpower for the company. Because what it means is that we can build tools and assays and insights and molecules focused on this channel and the way that the molecular gates are binding to it and how they're interacting. And that's a real sort of consolidation of effort. We can put a lot of effort into that, and that's going to apply to every program that we do. So a way to think about that, because we have this focus on a single pathway and a single mechanism, 
you know, things like every problem that we solve or every insight that we generate or every breakthrough that the team makes on one program immediately applies to every other program we could possibly do. So we get iteratively faster and smarter and better at making the types of drugs that we're trying to make. What clicked for us is why this made sense as a company and how we should build it. Because there are so many different diseases, applications, is it difficult to kind of focus on one or are you you able to focus on lots all at the same time? Yeah, what a great question. There are lots of opportunities for molecular gates, but we as an organization, any organization, cannot do all of them at the same time. So we do have to focus on a few that we think are most tractable and most interesting for the company, for the technology today, and most meaningful for patients. So we do have certain areas of focus, as we've talked about for us today, it's around inflammation and around protein aggregation diseases, and the intersection of those with neuroscience, so where um, molecular gates can get into the brain and affect extracellular proteins in the brain. So there's an element of focus. We're also early in our journey. So we are in preclinical drug discovery. There will be certainly things that we learn along the way that will shape where we want to point this technology. But yeah, so we we do focus on a set of diseases because we cannot tackle them all at once. For sure. When you start developing something like this, you have the concept, cost becomes something that is an issue. How have you started to address that? You can have a great idea, but then all of a sudden when it comes to fruition, you're looking at $2 million per dose or per patient. At what point do you start to say, okay, what is this going to cost? Are we going to be able to do this at scale and keep costs low? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think in in some important ways, molecular gates are, are new. They're a new therapeutic modality, a new mechanism of action for a drug. But the molecules that we're making at the end of the day are small molecule drugs. And so there's actually an awful lot that we can learn and have learned from the most abundant class of therapeutics that exist today and have existed, right? Small molecule chemical drugs. So in contrast to other new modalities, say things like cell and gene therapy, there isn't quite the same sort of cost concerns in development because it's a much more conventional material that we're working with. And then the, you know, on the the other part of your question related to cost of therapies at the end of the day, the way I look at this is that yeah, we're going to try and make medicines that are the best choice for patients who don't have other choices. And if we do that successfully, everything will sort itself out. How will this be administered to our patients? You know, the hope is, and the anticipation is that the molecular gate medicines will be taken as a pill, as any other pill that you might take. Small molecules, shelf stable, taken orally, accessing the body as with any other small molecule drug. That's the intent. We're still several years from clinical testing of our first program. So Things may change along the way, but that is our goal. Are you looking to be able to, through this technology, is it something that you're going to be able to cure diseases or are you going to be able to get to the point where something becomes manageable through repeat taking of a pill? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, you know, It sort of depends a bit on the specific diseases themselves. So there are certain diseases where if you eliminate the disease-causing protein, it's a one-time insult. And if you can eliminate that protein, you could potentially cure the disease. Uh, there are others where perhaps the extracellular protein is being produced regularly by your body and you need to reduce its levels below some pathogenic threshold. And you might be taking the medicine on a more recurring basis to keep those extracellular protein levels in a healthy, in a healthy range. Um, so it really depends on the disease itself. 
Can you take me through a little bit the formation of the company? It becomes something bigger than just that initial idea, you know? Very much so. And I mean, I think for for Gate, I think this is probably true for many biotech companies of, of our type. You know, the science really drives, the science and the technology really drives those those early days, right? You have an initial insight or initial observation. You have to figure out, is it repeatable? You have to figure out, can you do it? Then you have to say, wait, I want to be able to do this at scale in the not too distant future. So you just start building out the technologies to, to be able to do that. And so really that's, you know, the, the early days of Gate were around building out those technologies and building that expertise, growing the team. We started as three founders and rapidly grew to a team that's now 22 people, mostly in San Francisco, uh, many chemists and, and biologists and technologists building out the assays and the tools and the systems to be able to enable the vision that we have for molecular gates. And that continues. We came out of stealth recently. We unveiled the company just a few weeks ago and announced our, our Series A fundraising of $60 million, which is a large sum. And we're going to use that money basically to take this platform that we've built and now start deploying it towards the programs that, that we want to pursue. Mario Andretti, the race car driver, has a quote, if things are under control, you're not going fast enough. That speaks to the emotional side, perhaps, or how it feels to build a startup. Is You're exactly right, Jim. There's just so many things you need to build at the same time. You can't build them all at the same time. You have to find ways to, to stage it. But it's a really fun journey. And you mentioned the fact that you've got $60 million. Clearly, there's interest in what you're doing. We hear the words disruptive an awful lot. And we hear companies saying, we've got something new. You clearly do have something new. How do you kind of elevate that discussion to the point where this isn't just disruptive, this is really new? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're very fortunate to have the support of the syndicate that we have, both the financial support, but also the know-how in building companies like this. And actually, you know, I do think a lot about how molecular gates are a new therapeutic class. And in certain ways, we are trailblazers. But we're also very clearly following a path that has been laid before us by others. And that path is small molecules doing interesting things. So if we think historically to small molecule chemical drugs, I might miss a one or two here, but I'm going to say that they're basically two classes. You have the antagonists, small molecules that might come in and block an enzyme from, from functioning, kinase inhibitors and things like that. You have small molecule agonists that would do the opposite, that would sort of activate proteins. But in the last maybe about 15 years or so, you've seen this wave of small molecules doing more interesting things. Small molecules that covalently bind to proteins and actually form a new chemical bond with their target. Small molecules that bind to RNA, not just to protein, but bind to RNA and affect the ability of the cell to produce proteins. Small molecules that act as glues, that's the term now, molecular glues, right? Where they, a small molecule will attract two protein targets, so have two binding partners, and by virtue of bringing those two proteins together, will cause one protein to act on the other. So to actually introduce protein-protein activity into a cell that might not have had it otherwise. And flavors of glues, you know, protein degradation, where one of those proteins is a degrader and will chop up the other protein you want to get rid of. So there's this whole world of small molecules doing interesting things. And we've been very fortunate with the folks we've brought around the table is that they're folks who've actually really been instrumental in building many of these other small molecule modalities as investors, as scientists themselves, as the leaders in pharma who shepherded these ideas from insights through to actual approved drugs. And so we try to bring this expertise around the table deliberately from the very early days and to try and learn the playbook from them as much as possible so we don't have to reinvent it ourselves. 
And I think that's really where the true magic comes when you assemble a team with this type of expertise. They see something in us, clearly, that is interesting to them, but we see something in them, that, that knowledge, that expertise, and that ability to follow the playbook and try to make meaningful medicines for patients. It's pretty exciting to be in at the beginning of something new. Obviously, you're, you're fairly early on in that pathway. What are the next steps for the company? What we're going to do now with this Series A money is really deploy our platform technologies towards pushing programs forward. Our hope is that the lead programs might be ready for clinical testing in three to five years. Although being around biotech for as long as, as you have, I'm sure, Jim, you know that you know, timelines can be hard to predict in the early days, but that's our aspiration. And you know, I, I do think to your point about you know being very early, I do hope that should we succeed, we'll look back and, and there will be dozens of companies producing molecular gates for additional diseases. And so starting starting a whole class of medicines, we've seen that with glues and protax and splice modulators and the like, that when a new innovation of how to intervene therapeutically comes onto the market, it can often lead to a real burgeoning of science and exploration around that mechanism. And, and boy, I hope that's the case because as we talked earlier, there are many diseases caused by extracellular proteins. We as gate will take as many as we can, but we'll not be able to do all of them. And certainly there are patients who are in need of better therapeutic options. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we haven't? Just to say how excited we are to unveil the company. Um, it's been a lot of hard work from a lot of folks. It's been really wonderful to bring the syndicate around the table that we have and the resources that they bring to bear. Drug development, drug discovery is hard. Any new area of science is. And the only way you can possibly succeed is with the right team and the right resources behind you. And very excited about this next stage of, of GATE. It's always interesting to hear about new technologies that can make a big difference in the future. Don't forget to check out the latest news and articles over at labiotech.eu. And I hope wherever in the world you are, you have a great week ahead. Thanks for listening. And you'll join us again next time for another Beyond Biotech.